ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Alhamdulillah wahdahu salatu wassalamu ala man la nabiyya ba'dah amma ba'd So today inshallah we'll be doing a continuation of a previous series that I had started It's going to be a mini-series And uh, I was talking about the reality of sin What does it mean to disobey and what are the ramifications of disobedience And how can we come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after disobedience And this will be a, a shorter series than I typically do But uh, after I gave the first series I was... Uh, uh, emailed by, by a number of people commenting about or asking about uh, what is the relationship between sinning and uh, disbelieving in Allah or kufr. And so I thought that before I move on, I should also, that we're still doing the preliminaries, uh, and in my, my first lesson I did the reality of iman, because sins, they diminish the faith, they tar away or they tarnish the faith. Well, before we get to just that which makes the faith weak, I think it will be also useful, not in a lot of detail because that is a more advanced topic, but at least in a nutshell, to understand the factors that negate iman, the factors that contradict iman. And in other words, to rephrase, what is the opposite of believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And what are some of the main branches of that which opposes Islam or iman? And this topic can be summarized as the reality of kufr. What is kufr? And the question rises, why should we study uh, kufr? What is the benefit of studying something that Allah has criticized? And the response is, we find it in one of the statements of the Sahaba, when uh, he said that, uh, I used to ask the Prophet ﷺ about the evil matters, whereas most of the other people would ask about the good matters. And then he said, the reason I would ask about the evil matters is so that I could recognize and avoid, so that I could not fall into those evil matters. And one of the poets uh, of the past, he versified, you should learn evil, not for the sake of evil, but to avoid it. Because the one who does not differentiate from good to evil will fall into it. So we learn evil, not for the sake of evil, but to recognize it and then to know it. Another, in other words, we can also, for example, say, why do we teach our children the dangers of smoking uh, or the dangers of any type of sin? Because we want them to know and to recognize that these are dangerous things. So in today's uh, lecture, we'll be talking about the opposite of iman, and that is, of course, uh, kufr. And Kufr has branches and Kufr has categories. And so today, inshallah, will be a summary of what those are so that we understand what is the reality. Now realize that Kufr is the generic term given to the absence of Iman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, He is the one who has created you. Some of you have Iman and some of you don't and that is called Kufr. And so Iman and Kufr are the opposites of one another. Either you 
you have Iman, in which case you are a Muslim, you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or you don't have Iman, in which case you are a Kafir and you have Kufr. Now one of our problems comes, and there's actually many problems, but one of our problems comes is that the term Kafir has taken on a derogatory pejorative. In fact, it is like an insult when you use it. It's like a very charged up word that when you use it, it is it is somehow offensive. And in reality, the term is used as a factual statement in the Quran. There doesn't seem to be a pejorative slur. It is simply uh, a factual statement that Allah says in the Quran, Ya ladina kafaru, O you who have committed kufr. And you can translate it, O you who don't have faith, O you who are not Muslims yet. So if I were to ask you, does the term non-Muslim have any negative? You would say no. I mean, if a person is a Muslim or a person is not a Muslim, there's nothing negative there. So too, the term kufr in and of itself, it is simply a description. And the reason I say this is because what we have found is that some people, they uh, they try to reinterpret the reality of Qur'anic kufr because they are embarrassed at the application of the term on specific people. And there's no need to be embarrassed because the Qur'an is not using the term kufr in a pejorative, in a slur, in a type of slander. The Qur'an is simply saying that, O oh, you who have rejected Allah, you don't believe in Allah, you don't believe in the God of Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Yaqub, the God of Abraham and Moses and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. then you are a people of kufr. So it's a factual uh, statement in this regard. So what is the definition of kufr? The definition of kufr is the absence of iman. What does the linguistic meaning kufr mean? In other words, there's something called the technical definition, the absence of iman. And then there's the word. What did the word mean before Allah used it to signify the absence of iman? What is the, the linguistic connotation of kufr? Well, the word kufr actually means to cover up. And that's why the term kafara in Islamic, pre-Islamic Arabic, the term kafara was actually meant to signify that which is covered. And uh, very interestingly, the term kafir, believe it or not, it is used even once in the Quran, it is said, depending on how you interpret the verse, but definitely in pre-Islamic uh, poetry, it is used, the term kafir, uh, to signify a farmer. Why is a farmer called a kafir? Because the farmer, he buries the seeds, he covers up the seeds. And so covering the seed is a type of kufr, linguistically, linguistically we're talking about. And therefore the kafir is the one who covers something up. Now, why is the one who rejects Allah uh, uh, committing kufr in the linguistic sense? Our scholars respond, you can understand this as a number of things. Firstly, that a person who has rejected Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has covered the truth. That's one interpretation. Secondly, a person who doesn't believe in a higher power, a person who doesn't believe in religion or religiosity and does not believe in the one true God, it is as if he or she has covered up his own innate fitra, or the innate way that Allah created them. So their innate fitra, and of course fitra, we spoke about this a number of times, but just to briefly rehash our memory, fitra is the innate uh, predisposition that Allah created mankind upon. It is inside of us when we are born. We don't learn it. We don't acquire it. It's not something the Qur'an comes and teaches us. Every child is born inherently with it. I call it a spiritual DNA. And a part of that spiritual DNA, it is shouting out 
every man, every woman knows deep down inside that there is purpose in life, that there is a reason that we are alive, that there is a higher power, and that that higher power should be worshipped. Every human being likes to be at some level connected to that higher power. Every human being wants to be righteous and religious, wants to fight for truth and justice. That is what the fitrah is. When a person turns away, then they have covered the fitrah up. So that is why uh, a kafir is somebody who is called a kafir because they have covered their fitrah up. Now, of course, the term uh, kufr is the generic term for the absence of Iman. And there are many categories under kufr. Kufr is not just one category. And there are many types of those who reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, the highest level amongst those who reject uh, the religion of Islam are those who follow other religions that were true in their time frame. And this category is a special category and they have some perks and privileges and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them specifically by name and He calls them so many times in the Qur'an to come closest to Islam because they are the closest to Islam and Allah calls them to embrace Islam and of course these are the Ahli Kitab. And the Ahli Kitab are of course the believers in a Prophet before the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Anyone who believes in a Prophet that Allah sent before the coming of our Prophet ﷺ, they have a special status. Why? Because they believe in the same God as we do, the God of Abraham. And they believe in the concept of prophecy. A lot of us Muslims don't realize that out of all the religions in the world, the majority of them don't believe in prophets, right? So uh, what are called the Taoist uh, uh, religions, and of course these are the religions like, uh, like Buddhism, uh, like Taoism, like Hinduism, like Confucianism. These religions, they don't believe in the concept of heaven and hell. They don't believe in the concept of hereafter. They don't believe in the concept of resurrection. They don't believe in the concept of prophets. They don't believe in the concept of divine books. They are a completely different class of religions. As for the people who believe in Jesus Christ and who follow Jesus Christ, the people who believe in, in Moses, and then there might be one or two other, you know, smaller Ahli Kitab, there's a controversy other than that, but definitely the followers of Jesus in our times and the followers of Moses in our times, those two religions, the Christians and the Jews, they are definitely Ahli Kitab and they have a privilege amongst others uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also called kafir. But this group is of course the most privileged amongst them. Why? Because they believe in so much of what we believe and yet of course they, there are significant differences. And Allah addresses them in the Quran and Allah says, وَإِلَاهُنَا وَإِلَاهُكُمْ wahid." Your God and our God is the same God. Unlike for example those who worship a totally different system, a totally different pantheon of gods. They don't believe in the God of Ibrahim and the God of Ismail, the God of Ishaq. And so they are a different category, but they're still, of course, in the broad category of kufr. And this doesn't mean, again, so uh, to be uh, uh, within this category is not a pejorative per se. It is a negative in the sense that, of course, believing is a, a, a something that's positive. But the term kufr is not meant to be insultive in nature. That's the key point that I'm trying to get at. Now, within the category of kufr, there are other subcategories as well. And these are important for us to understand. Of the uh, subcategories of kufr is that of shirk. And also of the subcategories of kufr is that of nifaq. And so let's discuss these two quickly and then come back to the reality of kufr. So a lot of people ask, what is the difference between kufr and shirk? And the response is, at some level, at some level, kufr and shirk are interchangeable. 
And you can say kufr and shirk are two circles that occupy the same space at some level. So if you wanted to, you could say that kufr and shirk at some level are synonymous. However, technically speaking, because there is a technical level as well, technically speaking, shirk is a type of kufr. And so every shirk is kufr, but not every kufr is shirk. Okay? So Again, there's a generic level in which you can say a bit of a stretch, but you can say that yes, every shirk and every kufr are the same thing because shirk and kufr are both rejections of worship of Allah. And that's true. But there's also a technical definition. And the technical definition of shirk is more narrower than the technical definition of kufr. And so if you had, you know, if you remember your Venn diagram since you were in high school, or whatever, and so kufr is the large Venn diagram, and within it you will have a subcircle, and that subcircle will be shirk. Every shirk is kufr, not every kufr is shirk. And so what is the technical definition of shirk? The technical definition of shirk is, so memorize this, to give the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to other than Allah. This is what shirk is. To give the rights of Allah to other than Allah. And of course, this comes from the linguistic and the Quranic definition of shirk. As for the linguistic, so the term sharik in Arabic means partner. And the concept of being a partner uh, in any firm, you have partners, right? And even in Arabic to this day, they are called the shuraka in any muassasa. They are all partners in the law firm. They're partners in this business firm. They're called the sharik or the shuraka is the plural. And so a partner is somebody who shares some of the rights or all of the rights that the other partners do. Notice, for a partner to be a partner, they don't have to be equal. So a partner can own 10%, another partner can earn 90%. A partner can own 1%, another can own 50 another can own 40 and then so on and so forth. The one who owns 1% is still technically a partner in the entire firm. Why? Because he or she will have some of the privileges that only the other partners have. And that's why the technical definition of shirk is to give the rights of Allah to other than Allah. Whatever is a haqq, or a right of Allah, we cannot give it to other than Allah. If we give it to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is a category or a type of shirk. And there are many examples. And of course, I, I, I said uh, before I give you the examples, I said both linguistic definition and the Quran tells us this. And as for the Quran, it's very explicit. Did they take partners besides Allah? Shuraka. Did they make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be there are others besides Allah that have the rights of Allah? Did any create the way that Allah created such that they're confused who the real creator is? And Allah says in the Quran, فَلَا تَجْعَلُوا لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Do not take along with Allah, a nid or a partner, even though you know that Allah created you. Notice, shirk does not necessarily mean you reject Allah. Shirk means you might believe in Allah, but you will also believe in other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, the classic example of shirk is the jahili Arabs and also the uh, previous religions of all the pantheons of the Romans and the, uh, the Greeks and the Byzantines. You know, you have this whole pantheon of gods. And they believed 
Just like the Jahili Arabs believed, they did believe that there's one ultimate God. They believed that there's the God of God, right? So the Romans, uh, they called that God Jupiter. The Greeks, they called that God Zeus. So Jupiter and Zeus were the big gods, but then they believed in many, many semi-gods, demi-gods, daughters of gods, sons of gods. They believed in lots of other mini-gods, and each one of them is an independent god, but the one powerful god, the ultimate god, the god of gods, there is one up there. The Quraysh are exactly the same. And the Quran describes this, that they believed in Allah as the ultimate God, but then they believed that there are other gods besides Allah. And that's why when our Prophet ﷺ came to them and he said to them, there is only one God, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that, إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا إِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ When it is said to them, there is no deity that is worthy of worship other than Allah, they would become arrogant. And Allah says to them that, speaking on their tongue, أَجْعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا إِنَّ هَذَا لَشَيْءٌ عُجَابٌ Has He made all of our gods into one God? This is something crazy, something amazing. I'm not going to listen to this. So the reason why they rejected Islam is not because they didn't believe in Allah. They did believe in Allah. It's because they believed in Allah and other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So this is shirk. And the classic example of shirk, as I said, to believe in a mighty God, but then you also worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the right of being worshipped is only Allah's. The right of creation is only Allah's. The right of being all powerful, all knowledgeable, all merciful, all hearing, all seeing. This is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anytime a person comes along and says, oh, I'll worship Allah, but I'll also worship this other entity. Then this is shirk. Anytime a person comes and says, yes, Allah is all forgiving, but that entity is also just like Allah is all forgiving, that entity is also all forgiving. Allah is all knowledgeable, but yes, also this person is independently all knowledgeable and knows everything, the hidden and the open, the vahid and the batin. If somebody believes this, then they've taken an attribute of Allah, which is alimul ghaybi wa shahada and alamul ghuyub and al-alim and al-latif and al-khabir, and they have given it to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why shirk is therefore a type of kufr, and that is to give the rights of Allah to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the technical definition of uh, shirk. And as I said, every shirk is kufr. Because when you worship other than Allah, you have rejected iman. Because iman means you believe in Allah and only Allah. When you worship other than Allah, then you have rejected iman and you have committed shirk. So shirk is therefore a type of kufr. Another type of kufr is nifaq. And nifaq is something that uh, generally speaking, I would venture to say it is more rare, major nifaq, especially in the lands that we live in, compared to early Islam. Nifaq is a phenomenon that did not exist in Mecca. It only existed in Medina. And nifaq is the most, uh, the most crass or the most vulgar type of kufr. Why? Because nifaq is to pretend to be a Muslim, when in reality you're not a Muslim. And this is generally done at times when Islam is powerful politically, when there is much to be gained by pretending to be Muslim. Generally speaking, when the Muslim civilization is weak, generally speaking, when Muslims are being persecuted, then there is no reason for somebody to pretend to be Muslim. And in reality, at times of persecution, real Iman is shown, because that is as demonstrated, because that is what really comes to the forefront. However, at 
times of glory, think of early Medina, think of when the Prophet ﷺ is in charge of Medina, and to be a Muslim is politically advantageous. Well, we saw what happened in the battle of uh, Uhud. The battle of Uhud was the main point in time when Nifaq first appeared amongst the uh, Ummah. And what happened of course was that a group of people pretended to be uh, Muslim when they are not Muslim. So Nifaq as we said is the outer manifestation of Islam and inside one does not have Islam. And this is something that as we said it only occurs uh, at times of uh, political strength. This is called Nifaq. So we now have uh, the three things of kufr and of shirk and of nifaq. Okay, as we said, every single shirk is a type of kufr. Every single nifaq is a type of kufr. Not every kufr is shirk and not every kufr is nifaq. So kufr is the larger category. Let me give you the classic example. Iblis. Iblis is the manifestation of kufr. But... Iblis did not in the technical sense commit nifaq, nor did he in the technical sense commit shirk. Iblis did not worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, one could argue that in the generic sense, Iblis committed shirk, and that is true, and that he preferred himself over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the commands of Allah, and that is true. And in a generic sense, every shirk and kufr are really, you can use the same term. But in the specific sense, and that is why the Qur'an does not describe shirk to Iblis, the Qur'an describes, ascribes kufr to Iblis. Allah says regarding Iblis, Aba wastakbara wa kana minal kafirin. Iblis was arrogant and he refused and he was from of those who committed uh, kufr. So we talk now uh, in today's lecture about the reality of uh, kufr. And we said kufr is the absence of iman. You are either a Muslim or you are not. And if you are not a Muslim, then you are a kafir. And within kufr, there are many types of kufr. There are categories of kufr. And we said one of the categories of kufr are those who believe in other prophets, but not our prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And other categories of, uh, of kufr are those who worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even as they believe in Allah as their Lord. And other categories of kufr are also there. Of them is those who pretend to be Muslim when they are not Muslim. If you read the first pages of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes all of these phenomenon in the first two pages of Surah Al-Baqarah. The first four verses of Surah Al-Baqarah are about the believers. Allah describes the people of Iman. Then the next two verses are about the kuffar. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَأَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Allah says, those who committed kufr, it doesn't matter whether you warn, you don't warn, they're not going to believe, their hearts are sealed. Then for the next 13 verses, Allah describes the munafiqoon, those who pretend to be Muslim when they are not Muslim. Okay, so this is the first two pages of Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah clarifies iman, and then kufr, and then nifaq. And then right after this, Allah commands people to not commit shirk. So really all of these are there in the first two pages of Surah Al-Baqarah. Now, let's get back to the reality of uh, kufr uh, and then explain a little bit more what, uh, what types of kufr there can be conceptually. And then inshallah, we will call it a day for our lecture today. So the reality of kufr. If you remember from my previous lecture, I said that iman exists in the heart and upon the tongue and in the actions. And I talked in some detail about the reality of Iman. Well, 
if Iman and Kufr are mirror opposites, then everything that exists in Iman, its opposite must be in Kufr as well. Okay, And therefore, we can go over that entire list of Iman and look at the mirror opposites and see what they are in Kufr. So I said in our previous lecture that Iman consists of many things. Of them is the belief of the heart, which is called Qawl al-Qalb, something the heart must know, something the heart must have a conceptual knowledge of. And it is possible that a person does not have that Qawl or that belief, and therefore would be a type of kafir. And this could be for a number of reasons. Of them is number one, ignorance. In other words, a person does not know Islam, never heard of Islam, never heard of Muslims, never heard of the Qur'an. For the bulk of European history, most Europeans, especially in early and, 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 and pre-modern Europe, they, most of them had really not even heard of the religion of Islam. They're living in a very different bubble. Think back to the 800s, 900s, you know, think back in when Europe is in the dark ages, uh, even uh, in pre-modern times, even in the days of Renaissance, they might have heard of some civilization, but they are ignorant of the reality. And so even ignorance is of two types. You have actual all-out ignorance, people have never heard of Islam, or you have ignorance because of an, uh, a distorted image or incorrect information, and both of these are types of ignorance. And especially, I mean, for those of us who remember America pre-9-11, I would say many people in America, many people were totally ignorant about even the concept of there being a religion called Islam. I think post 9-11, a lot of people have incorrect information, but I don't think anybody has never heard of the religion of Islam after that. But the point is that both of these ignorance and a lack of correct information, because they don't even know, so then how can their heart actually even have that knowledge? Now, this is a really key point. The fact that their heart does not have the knowledge still means that they're classified as kafir in this world. And they have the fiqhi and legal rulings of that of a kafir. For example, can a Muslim lady marry somebody who has never heard of Islam? No. Why? Because the rulings of kufr will apply. Uh, the, the funeral arrangements, the wills, the wasiyah. As you are all aware, Islamic law, there are some variations uh, between inheritance and marriage and divorce and burial and other things between Muslim and between non-Muslim. And the question is... Um, for those people who say, oh, those that have never heard of Islam, we don't call them, them, them this term kafir. And the response is, well, I mean, what else do, would you call them? The, technically, in this dunya, the re, now, the, 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 the term is going to be kafir. However, the issue that people are confused at is the following. And that's a theological issue. And people get confused between the legal and the theological. The theological issue is as follows. Does every single kafir, necessarily go to Jahannam. That is a whole different question altogether than what do we call them in this world and how do we deal with them in this world. As for the issue of Jannah and Jahannam, that is a separate topic altogether. I have actually given a much longer lecture, you will find it online. Uh, but of course the problem comes that you know, some of you are only watching this one lecture and then you will not watch any other lecture and so you're confused about this issue. So just to answer you in one quick you know, paragraph. This issue, as you would expect, has a lot of opinions on it. And the simplest and the, inshallah, the most correct and strongest one is the following. And that is, 
we do not pronounce judgments on individuals in this world. We leave their affairs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We speak in generalities. We do not speak in specifics. We speak conceptually. We do not speak individually. This is one of the principles of our theology. We do not assign heaven or hell to any individual simply based upon their birth name or their outer actions. Only Allah knows the inner state of affairs. And that is why not every Muslim who calls himself Muslim in this world and who says proudly I'm a Muslim will enter Jannah. And not every kafir whom we call a kafir and we recognize as a kafir in this world will enter Jahannam. That is something else in the hereafter. We speak in generics. We speak in broad terms. We speak in concepts. And we say conceptually the righteous Muslim shall enter Jannah and the sinful Muslim might be punished and might go to Jahannam but eventually enter Jannah because they had some iman. We don't speak specifically Ahmed and Mustafa and Fatima and Zainab and so and so. We don't speak like that. Similarly, we say generally speaking, the kafir who knows Islam and has rejected Islam knowing what Islam is, generally speaking, that kafir will not enter Jannah because they've chosen to not accept Allah and His Messenger. And as for the kafir, who has never heard of Islam. As for the kafir who had an incorrect understanding of Islam and they had no access to the correct understanding, that category of kuffar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test them on the day of judgment. They will have a further test and Allah will see and Allah will choose and decide and we trust in Allah's infinite mercy and in Allah's infinite justice and in Allah's infinite wisdom. It is not our job to go stamping people. You're going to Jannah, you're going to Jahannam. That reality doesn't change the fact that in this world we have a system of laws and those laws differ from Muslim to non-Muslim. And therefore we do have somewhat of a, a legal obligation to consider some people to be Muslim and some people to be not Muslim. That legal obligation has nothing whatsoever of a correlation with the hereafter's issue of who is going to hell and who is going to heaven. A lot of Muslims don't understand this distinction and because of that they feel very awkward, very concerned about, oh, this person's really good and I don't want to you know, consider this person to be a kafir in this world. Like, look, your verdict on him is a legal one, not a theological one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with the theology. Back to our issue here. We're talking about categories of kufr. And it is possible that somebody has never heard of Islam or has an incorrect understanding of Islam and that is a type of kufr. It is also possible that somebody has gotten a very partial understanding of Islam and that partial understanding is not enough for them to have firm faith and they weren't able to uh, enter Islam uh, because they had doubts, they had reasons or they had issues that weren't clarified to them. So this is called a type of kufr of doubt. Not sure, and I have met actually people like this in my own life where they've studied Islam just a little bit, they've heard a lecture or two, they have a Muslim friend or so, and they're like, you know, I can see why you guys believe and everything makes a lot of sense to me except this one thing I just don't understand. And you can try a few minutes to explain, but they're like still in their minds, I don't understand and you know, I don't know whether Islam is true or not. Well, not knowing Islam is true or not is a type of kufr. And so a person is going to be considered to be a non-Muslim in this world. And again, Allah will decide their fate in the hereafter. Another type is 
the category of people that is really the Qur'an is very um, harsh towards them and justifiably. The Qur'an is very strict in its verdict. And this is the people that Allah calls them, they are like cattle. In whom illa kal an'am. Balhum adal. They are worse than cattle. Who are they? This is the category of mankind who live just for the moment. They live just to satisfy their animal instincts. They live for the pleasures of this world and they never, ever, ever stop to consider who created me? What's the purpose of life? What am I doing here? What's going to happen after death? These questions, whenever they come, they're simply going to immerse themselves in their bubble of sensual pleasures and they will numb their own higher senses and they will act like animals even though they are not animals. Hence, they are considered to be worse than animals. And this is a type of kufr that the Qur'an is very harsh at. And the Qur'an generally says those types of people, there is no hope on them. Because look, you know it's one thing. It's one thing to strive to find answers to these questions and then fail. If you don't find a Muslim, you never read the Qur'an, that person, we can fully understand that on the day of judgment, you know, they might even go to Jannah and Allah might forgive them because they didn't know any better. You cannot contrast this person with somebody who just wanted to live because of his or her own desires. They just want to do what they want to do and satisfy their sensual pleasures and lustful desires and live day to day and night to night and not even think about these questions. This is a type of kufr that is called the kufr of turning away or the kufr of i'rad. And the Quran mentions this and um, uh, rejects this as well as being one of the worst types of kufr. So this is the kufr of the heart not knowing. Okay. There's a, another type of kufr from the heart as well. And that is the heart not submitting. And this level of kufr is the worst category of all the levels of kufr, period. There is no kufr worse than this kufr. And that is the kufr of the heart knowing but not submitting. In other words, one can rephrase and say that the, the heart knows but refuses to submit. The heart has the factual knowledge, yet refuses to love and to humble and to feel pain and to feel the submission, not the pain, to feel the submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the ultimate level of kufr. And of course, this level of kufr, it is characterized by, in the Quran, uh, the, uh, the, the, the story of Iblis is the most blatant, manifestation of this kufr. Iblis knows the truth. Iblis refuses to submit to the truth. Iblis knows Allah created. Iblis knows there's heaven and hell. Iblis knows there's prophets and books. Iblis knows there's qadr. Everything Iblis knows. At some level, Iblis believes. But what does Iblis not do? Iblis refuses to submit. And that is the worst type of kufr because of arrogance. And you know, sometimes maybe in our lives, some issue has happened to, with somebody, with our friend, our cousin, our relative, our spouse. We know we're wrong, but just because of our egos, just because of our egos, we refuse to admit that we're wrong. And that's bad in this world. To do it about religion and about Allah, that is the worst of the worst. And that's what Iblis did. And this is the kufr of arrogance and the kufr of outright rejection. Fir'aun as well, the Pharaoh in the time of Musa, he too had this type of kufr where, where he knew 
that Musa was a prophet of Allah. He knew that Musa was coming with divine signs and he chose to reject those signs outright. So this is the kufr of uh, istikbar or the kufr of juhud, of, of outright denial. And it is the worst type of kufr and only the worst of mankind do this type of kufr. It is typically found in people of arrogance and in people of fame and power. They're worried of losing their fame and power if they accept Islam and so they prefer what they have over uh, submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, another uh, uh, type of kufr is the kufr of hypocrisy. We mentioned this as well where the heart does not believe but the tongue says to believe and this is as we said the, the kufr of uh, nifaq. Now this is in the heart. From the tongue, from the body as well things can happen that are manifestations of kufr to knowingly prostrate to an idol without any pressure. So you willingly prostrate to an idol, wanting to worship that idol. This is not going to come from the heart of a... Now it's one thing if a gun is placed to your head and somebody wants to torture you to death. We know this happened uh, in this case of Ammar ibn Yasir, the famous companion, and he was forced to say words of kufr. And the Quran came down saying, if you are forced, Allah will forgive you. But to willingly embrace kufr and to willingly do things of kufr, this is definitely a, uh, a problem. So, all of this is just meant to make us understand that sins in and of themselves, sins are not kufr. And that's the key point over here. Sins are not good. Disobeying Allah is not good, but they are not kufr. Because kufr is a whole different category. And that is why Iblis and Adam their story is so profound. We can go back to their story over and over again from so many different perspectives. And Iblis and Adam both disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Both of them did things they should not have done. And yet, the one of them is our father and a prophet and Allah forgave him and Allah chose him and he shall enter Jannah and the other one is the worst of the worst. What's the difference between the two? When they both disobeyed, when Allah said to Adam, do not eat from the tree and Adam ate and Allah said to Iblis, bow down and Iblis did not bow down. The both of them, they did not obey a commandment but the two are not the same at all, no comparison. Why? Because our father Adam committed a sin and Iblis committed kufr. Our father Adam committed a sin. Why is it a sin? Because he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him and he knew he was supposed to worship Allah and he wants to worship Allah and he wanted to and he wants to and he continued worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but he slipped into a mistake and when he slipped into a mistake he acknowledged the mistake. His mistake did not cause him to reject submission. His mistake was his own. I committed a sin. I made a mistake, I was greedy, I was lustful, I wanted the pleasure, I, I, I. He blamed himself, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا Oh Allah, I did something wrong and I followed my desires. That's a sin. That is the definition of a sin. As for Iblis, what did Iblis do? Iblis said, I don't want to bow down. I'm not going to bow down. I am better than Adam and it's your fault, O oh Allah, that all of this is happening. He blamed Allah and he felt no inclination to humble himself in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He felt no desire to submit himself. He felt an arrogance, I'm not going to do that. And that arrogance is a type of kufr. When the person feels, I'm not going to worship Allah, that is different than saying, oh, 
I have not done justice in worshipping Allah. The two is as different as the night and the day. Adam understood he hasn't done justice, but he wants to. And that is the essence of committing a sin while having iman. And Iblis did not want to worship Allah. He said, I'm not going to do it. Aba wastakbar, wakana min al-kafirin. So this is really the key point while we're doing this. And uh, one final point for today, inshallah ta'ala, and then we'll call it, um, uh, we'll call it a lecture. Uh, so we said that there's uh, kufr and nifaq and shirk. We talked about these concepts. Now, to not, yani, you know, take it too much deep because this is going to get very advanced, but we should all know that kufr, nifaq, and shirk, all of these three, as we said, at some level, one can interchange them, but technically speaking, kufr is the broad category, and underneath it is shirk, and underneath kufr as well is also nifaq. As I said, every nifaq is kufr, every shirk is kufr, not every kufr is nifaq, not every kufr is shirk. I hope you understand the simple Venn diagram. One large circle will be kufr, and within it there is the circle of shirk, separate and distinct, the circle of nifaq. Okay? Now, this is in a technical sense. Now, not to confuse you, but there is another thing we should all be aware of. Kufr, shirk, and nifaq, all three of these things, they have both of um, so all three of them they have two categories all three of them there's major kufr and minor kufr there's major shirk and minor shirk there's major nifaq and minor nifaq okay very straightforward pay attention and inshallah will be very clear to you major of all of these three things major kufr major shirk and major nifaq is that which listen to me carefully and i'm going to come back to this has the potential has the potential to exclude you from Iman. You are very likely, or maybe you are not a Muslim, if you are committing anything of major kufr, or major nifaq, or major shirk. Okay? So, major kufr, major nifaq, major shirk, it nullifies the kalima, or has the potential to nullify. It is possible that a Muslim might commit even major kufr, but be forgiven for it or overlooked for other reasons. But theoretically, conceptually, not in the case of an individual, major shirk cannot really exist. Well, I shouldn't say cannot exist in the heart because it can exist in the heart. But it conceptually, it contradicts the kalima. Let me put it this way. Conceptually, major shirk negates the kalima. Major kufr negates the kalima. Major nifaq negates the kalima. That is conceptually. At the actual existent level, at the actual lived reality, it is possible, and we'll talk about this very briefly, for the Muslim to commit major kufr and then be forgiven for it, or major nifaq or major shirk, but that is at the individual level. We'll talk about this in a while. Well, I'll give you one simple example. Bowing down to an idol. It's major shirk. And it is major kufr because it's major shirk. Every major shirk is kufr. Bowing down to an idol, right? There's an idol in front of you. And you see a Muslim bowing down in front of this idol. To bow down in front of an idol conceptually, that is shirk. Now, what if the guy was forced by a gun and some evil person saying, either you worship this God or our false God or I will kill you. And he does it. So he will be forgiven. As I said, conceptually, 
bowing down in front of Allah as an act of worship, as, a, as literally worshiping a God besides Allah, that's a shirk. But it might happen in the individual Muslim and he or she is forgiven because of other circumstances. What if, for example, uh, a person does it without realizing that it was even an idol? Literally, it's like a, a person just is praying. He doesn't even know that this is a God that is worshipped by another entity, another religion. And he's just using it, you know, maybe as a prayer mark. You know, I'm just going to pray here between me and this thing. We're just going to pray over here. He doesn't even realize it. Or what if he's overcome with emotion and he doesn't understand? Or what if he's totally ignorant, doesn't even understand the repercussions? He literally doesn't even know that this is a type of kufr. And he's so ignorant a very common thing in our times when a lot of our children or a lot, maybe a new Muslim doesn't understand the repercussions of what he's saying and says something that because we know better, we've been raised in the faith, we know that is a major problem to say. And he goes, well, how, how could God say that? Who are you to say, how can Allah say that if it's in the Quran? He doesn't understand what he's saying. So again, there are a lot of factors that come into this reality. So major of them is that which theoretically negates the, the, the kalima. There's also that which is called minor kufr and minor shirk and minor nifaq, okay? Now, these are, now listen to this carefully, minor kufr and minor shirk and minor nifaq are sins, all of them, that can occur from believers, from Muslims. But these sins are of a different category than other sins. These are sins that are more evil. And they have been called minor kufr or minor shirk or minor nifaq to indicate that these sins are not like your regular sins. So a Muslim can be guilty of minor kufr and still be a Muslim. But the sins that he is doing is leading to kufr, and so it's called minor kufr. A Muslim can be guilty of minor shirk, but it's a very dangerous and slippery slope, and if he or she doesn't check and continues, that minor shirk can lead to major shirk. A Muslim can commit minor nifaq, and there are many examples that I will do inshallah in future lectures, but for today, and then we'll conclude with this inshallah, some examples. Minor kufr. Our Prophet ﷺ said that cursing a Muslim is a sin and fighting a Muslim is kufr. So cursing is to use vulgarities, to say something vulgar, nasty, to invoke Allah's la'na or to say bad things about the person or his ancestors or his mother or to curse the person. And all of us know what cursing is. Our Prophet ﷺ said, سِبَابُ الْمُسْلِمِ فُسُوقُ Doing this is fisq. وَقِتَالُهُ And fighting. So if two Muslims are unsheathing swords, wanting to kill one another for no valid reason, it, a valid reason could be one of them is attacking and then you're defending. If there's no reason other than worldly stuff or dunya or two Muslim armies fighting one another for the sake of politics and power, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah. This is something that is so disgusting that our Prophet ﷺ said, وَقِتَالُهُ kufr And fighting a Muslim, killing a Muslim, you know, for not self-defense, this is kufr. Yet Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Hujurat, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ قُتَتَلُوا If two groups of believers are fighting one another, then other Muslims have to get in and bring reconciliation. Notice, the Prophet is calling it kufr, and the Quran says if two believers are fighting. Why? Because it is a kufr that doesn't make you a kafir, it is a minor kufr. 
So a Muslim who is in an army fighting another Muslim in an army, or even two Muslims fighting for wealth or for power, fighting for non-legitimate reasons, this and each one is wanting to kill the other, this is so disgusting and so evil that it is called minor kufr. It's not befitting, how can you do this? How can you unsheathe the sword and want to harm or hurt another Muslim in this manner? So this is called minor kufr. It doesn't make you a kafir, but hey, you're on the verge here, man. That's not a regular sin anymore. This is minor kufr. An example of minor shirk, and of course the most classic example of minor shirk an example of minor shirk is the uh, concept of showing off one's good deeds so when you stand up to pray or when you read the Quran or when you give charity and in your heart you do so so that that person can see you and be impressed at what you are doing Okay, so you are not technically worshipping that person your salah is for Allah you're not doing sajda to him but you have diverted a portion of your intention to get the praise of the other person and this is the essence of minor shirk and our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ana aghna shuraka'i an shirk i am the least partner in need of any partners in need of any shirk whoever does a deed wanting to please me and other than me I shall leave him to his partner and let him, his partner reward him directly. So this is called minor shirk. Our Prophet ﷺ said, the thing that I'm most scared for my ummah is minor shirk or the hidden shirk in one version he said. They said, what is the hidden shirk ya Rasulullah? What is the minor shirk ya Rasulullah? He said, a man stands up to pray and then he beautifies his prayer when he sees other people looking at him. This is minor shirk. Now, has the person worshipped an idol? No, that would be major shirk. What has he done? He has corrupted his intention, that's minor shirk. Still a Muslim, still within Islam, but minor shirk. And minor nifaq, our Prophet ﷺ said in the famous hadith, that there are four characteristics that a munafiq has. And whoever has all four of them, he is a munafiq. Even though our scholars interpret he's not a real munafiq, but he's one step away. And whoever has one of them has a characteristic of nifaq. Whenever he speaks, he lies. Whenever he promises, he breaks his promise. Whenever he's trusted, he uh, betrays the trust. And whenever he argues, he uses vulgar language. These are all characteristics not befitting the believer. The believer when he speaks tells the truth. The believer when he promises, he upholds. When he's trusted with something, he fulfills the trust. When he argues, he doesn't resort to name calling and using four letter words and vulgarities. That's not the characteristic of the believer. So these are things that are characteristics of the munafiq. Therefore, to conclude, inshallah ta'ala, we will do part two and then we'll come back to part three inshallah uh, next week. To conclude, in today's lecture, what we did was we talked about the opposite of iman and we said the opposite of iman is kufr and that is a broad concept. And, at, and what kufr really is, the definition of kufr is the absence of iman. That's really how you define kufr. When you don't have iman, you have kufr. And kufr is of many categories and Shirk is a category of kufr when you give the rights of Allah to other than Allah. Nifaq is a category of kufr when you pretend to be Muslim but you are not Muslim. And all three of these, kufr, shirk and nifaq, 
they have major and minor. And the major of them is what I explained uh, for most of this lecture. Then I said there's something called minor, and the minor of these I shall return to in a future lecture because that is a category of sins that is very bad sins. Muslims can be guilty of minor shirk and minor kufr and minor nifaq, and these are the sins we need to be especially worried about. The final point that I'll mention, absolute final point, and that is the dangers of us Muslims considering other Muslims to be outside the fold of Islam. This is one of the biggest sins that we have to be very, very, very careful about. Our Prophet wasallam said, and the hadith is in uh, Sahih Muslim, whoever says to his brother in Islam, you're a kafir, that term will go to one of the two of them. So if the other person was a kafir, it's going to go to him. And if it wasn't, it will come back and stick on the one who uttered it. This hadith is in Sahih Muslim, which is authentic. And what this means is, we need to be super, super, super careful. And it is very, very sad to point out that so many, and I have to be blunt here, pseudo-scholars, because they are not real scholars. If they do this, they're not real scholars. Pseudo-scholars. They might have studied a few years in a madrasa, but they have no actual knowledge of the tenets of Islam, much less they embody the spirit of Islam. They consider anybody who disagrees with them or their interpretation to be kafir. Everybody becomes a kafir, even for the smallest disagreement, and that is sheer lunacy. It is ludicrousness to believe that only your interpretation of Islam is right. You have the right to challenge other people's interpretations. You have the right to defend your own. You have the right to criticize but to claim anybody who disagrees is automatically a kafir really betrays a level of ignorance that the sharia is free of. Real scholars don't go around declaring everybody else to be a kafir. Rather, it is something that is rarely, rarely, rarely done. And to err on the side of caution is the sign of a mu'min and a wise person. Anyone who considers himself or herself to be a Muslim should be considered a Muslim by the rest of the Muslim ummah unless very exceptional circumstances. And let's not talk about those exceptions at a generic level. Let's worry about the broader issues. And yes, there are people that are qualified. And yes, there are theologians who have specialized that, okay, this particular group or this whatnot. But generally speaking, for the average Muslim, let them be aware of simply anybody who says the kalima, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Anybody who believes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our Lord. Anybody who wants to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who believes in the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as being the final Prophet. Anybody who has this, then inshallah ta'ala, generally speaking, generally, they're within the fold of Islam. And then, more advanced than this, really not every Muslim needs to be aware of the details of this issue. Be concerned more about yourself at this level. And inshallah, when you study more and you take more and more classes, then you can study more about when uh, certain red lines are crossed and we should be careful about those red lines. But generally speaking, anybody who says the kalima and believes in Allah as our Lord and the general tenets of the teachings of Islam, and that is the Quran is the book of Allah, that we face the Kaaba, we pray five times a day, you know, we believe in the Sharia, we believe even the Prophet as being the final Prophet. These are the, fi- the simple, you know, overall tenets of Islam. Anybody who says this and wants to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if they have 
other understandings of how to do that, they're generally within the framework of Islam, even if they have different understandings. And beyond this is inshallah uh, time for another or a more detailed lecture. Inshallah we'll pause here, we're going to come back to uh, part three later on, we're going to come back to this issue of the reality of disobeying and sins, and how we can uh, make up for that. Until next time inshallah, jazakumullah khairan, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In- الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما إن الذين يؤذون الله ورسوله لعنهم الله في الدنيا والآخرة وأعد لهم عذابا مهينا والذين يؤذون المؤمنين والمؤمنات بغير ما اكتسبوا فقد احتملوا بهتانا وإثما مبينا Oh, uh-huh.